0: Maybe seated. I'm going to ask you to spend the next 17 minutes trying to find Zephaniah in your Bible. Um, for those of you who are digital, it's really easy. Just type in ZEP and you got it. OK, uh, Zephaniah chapter three, Zephaniah chapter three. For those of you who don't know where Zephaniah is, it's uh, before Zechariah, if that helps you at all. Um, it may not help you at all. I don't know. Um, Zephaniah is a little book in, in the middle of this little book. There's just three chapters. And what we learn in this book is a lot about what it is to be the people of God, because the people of God in Zephaniah's day were going through the same thing It's the same time as like Jeremiah. And so the people of God had turned far from God. They turned away from him. And uh, little little hint, if you're still trying, there's a table of contents at the beginning of your Bible. If you need to use it, that's fine. Mine is on page 1249. If that helps, okay. Um, so is yours too. If you're in the pew, it's on what page in the pew Bible? Seven ninety. Okay. All right. So here we go. Zephaniah in his day, he was a prophet of the Lord. In fact, he may be even part of the royal family at some point. Um, But what they're dealing with is the people of God have strayed far from God. They're they're worshiping the sun and the moon. They're worshiping the way of the world. They're they're running hard after the things of the world. And God promises destruction, promises destruction on them. He promises destruction on their enemies. The Assyrians are still strong and soon they'll be destroyed. They'll be taken down. and The Babylonians will take over and. And Zechariah or Zephaniah comes in, I see even messed it up. Zephaniah comes in in this time period, in the time period right before a whole bunch of reforms are going to hit the people of God. Little guy named Josiah is going to come along as king. And Josiah is going to be a king who is going to bring the people back to God. And so in Zephaniah, we see in three chapters what happens when you when you stray from God and when you run away from God and when you deny God as your king. And what happens when the people come back and they're restored? And so in chapter three of Zephaniah, we have the restoration of the people of God. And there's such good news in this chapter. And so really, this all comes from the fact that all right, for those of you, how many of you were here in second service last Sunday? OK. Um, and probably one of your fears this week was, is Brad going to double up his sermon? You know, probably. <laughs> part of, yeah. Um, in actuality, what what happened this week to me was one of my concerns uh, for us as a as a church family is that we understand, begin to understand a little bit of what God is doing among us, that we, that we make sure we have the right eyes to see what God is doing among us, because what happened last Sunday um, was what God has designed us for to worship him in spirit and in truth. And uh, it's not going to mean that every Sunday there won't be a sermon because we're so moved by what God is doing in our midst. But one of the things I've had to learn over the past 15, 20 years is that it's not what I say is not what is important. What happens here is not what's important on a Sunday morning. It's what God's spirit does that's important. I want you to know really good news. His spirit is in you if you are his child. The same spirit who moved many to tears last week is the spirit who lives in you. And so that experience we had last week should just be part of the reality of living in Christ Jesus. And we're so wowed by it because we don't experience it that often. So I started asking myself the question, why don't we experience it that often? I think that's a fair question, right? When, when we're so overwhelmed, when we do, the question is, why, why don't we experience that joy, that overwhelming joy of the Lord more often? Why is it that we come in and we're so serious all the time about the things of God? What is it about us that causes us to run away from what God has promised us, his presence and his power and his spirit and his joy? What is it that causes us to grab on to other things? And I began to deal with that in my own life. And and I think as this sermon unfolds, you'll see a little bit of what God's been doing in my life. But I, I, I kind of got to this point where I started thinking about my life and those that I've talked to. And, you know, as I began to understand that we're going through this series of getting to know who this king of glory is, I began to understand that. You know, I stand up here every week and I say it's not just knowing about God, it's knowing God. The goal is to know God, not just know his names and know about him from the Bible. We want to know him. We want to be intimate with him. We want to be close to him. We want to grow in knowing him and we want it to be a relationship. And I'm not sure if we know how to do that. I think I think what's happened is we've. Put the cart before the horse in Christianity, in our churches and in our Christian lives. to The point that we think there's some formula for this relationship that we have to figure out. And when we figure out that formula, like if the band plays in a certain way, then it's going to happen. Or if we sing a certain song, some of you may have come back this week and be like, oh, we didn't sing that song for last week. Right. We just had that experience again. And we think there's a formula to it. And I want you to know we have flipped that on its head. Because there is no formula to God moving. There is a great freedom in God moving and God working. And I want us to experience that freedom. So when I look for trying to find my joy in God, I've learned that getting to know God brings joy. But the problem with that is if you're like me, I grow really tired and really weary really quickly. Anybody else with me? Like when I'm seeking after the Lord, anybody Because if not, I could just go home right now. And you're all like, "Okay." Um, No, I I do. I'm like, I want to find my joy in the Lord. And then all it takes is the world. Like one thing. I mean, it could be like the slightest thing. And it's like my focus is gone. Right. And I I beat myself up for it. I read a quote this week and it went something like this. I'll just try to remember it. it. Said if you're disappointed in yourself, that means you believed in yourself. It's so true. I'm not supposed to believe in myself. I'm supposed to be believing in Christ in me. And I find myself getting so disappointed and beating myself up, and, and so my joy turns to drudgery. Right. The joy in the Lord just turns to drudgery or where I love God and I work hard at growing in that love like I study and I want to know and I want to grow in my love and I want to show that love through obedience and faithfulness like he tells me to do something. I'm going to go do it with all passion and love for him. And then it turns into something cold and religious. Right. When coming to gather with other believers used to bring you great joy and now it's. That thing you do on Sundays because you're supposed to. What gets us to that point or following God, obeying him, even with militant obsession? You know, I'm just God said to go and I'm all about going and it easily turns to. Legalism. Where if everybody's not doing the same thing, I am the same way I am. They're obviously not as spiritual as I am when really it's just taking my eyes off the prize. What drives us to that? When, we, when we're told by Paul that boasting should be in the cross, and so we boast in the cross of Jesus Christ, and then we come to this time of the year and we go to a Good Friday service and we find ourselves openly weeping over the cross and what Christ has done for us. And our weeping isn't out of joy because even Jesus for the joy set before him endured the cross. And so we look at the cross and we don't find it as a, As a joy to know that our Savior gave Himself. We see it as a shame. Have you been there? You just lost the joy of your salvation? And it's just drudgery. Legalism. Blaming others. Beating yourself up. Where's the freedom? Well, I believe that at the center of each of these crises, because I do believe this is a crisis, there's one thing. We make the center of our joy, of our existence, of our love, our, of our following, of our Christianity. We make it our activity. This is what it looks like. We sing songs. We're like, um, you know, God has done this for me. Now I've got to go. Right. And we're rah, rah. Let's get this done for Jesus. All of the Bible tells us that Jesus is the one doing everything. Accomplishing it all. We become people who are so concerned with our activity that maybe it's even decades of doing the same activity over and over and over again. We find our identity as believers in the fact that I do this for Jesus. Maybe when that gets taken away or we aren't able to do it anymore or something changes, then we don't know where to go from there and we lose the joy of our salvation. We're not sure what to think. Maybe it's just mission trips. You go on a mission trip and a mission trip has turned from I've got to tell others about Jesus to um, I want to make sure everybody knows that I love Jesus. So I'm going to go on a mission trip. See the difference? (laughs) One is I want to prove that I love Jesus. You're not going to tell anybody about Jesus. The other is others need to know about Jesus and how great he is and the love that he has for them. I want to encourage you today that all of the activity That we are called to do all of the obedience in the Christian life is supposed to flow from one reality. Not that we love God. But that he loves us. This is what John says in 1 John 4. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to take all of the wrath of God towards sin and place it on Jesus. Not that we love him, but that he loved us. I believe that if we stop putting the cart before the horse, if we start stop putting all of the activity that we do before the activity that Jesus does in us. And for us. The joy will come back. I believe that. Believe that with my whole heart. The joy will come back. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. We we need him to restore that joy to us. So John tells us that the love we have for God and all of the obedience that we do out of that love is supposed to simply be a reflection of the love he has for us. And I will tell you that a love that comes from any other place, an obedience that comes from any other place is anemic and it is weak and it will weary you. It will tire you out. You will not be free. Because you're trying to find life apart from the vine. It's as if the branches are connected to the vine and all they're trying to do is get into the soil themselves. I want you to know life is in the vine. Joy is in the vine. And he wants us to be connected to him for our joy. All of Christianity really quickly can turn into frustration, floundering around, even finding us turning into selfish or worrying or others despising, never content, world loving churchgoers, or even worse. Those who are church members who become content with the status quo instead of finding joy in the fact that Jesus is still at work. And the church is less about what we do and more about what he's doing. If we would buy into the fact that this group of people exist to see Jesus do something instead of this group of people exist to do something. The joy would return. I believe that's what God's up to at OPBC. I believe that that's what he's doing. I believe that's why he gives us glimpses like he did last week. I believe he is up to changing all of us into being people who are more concerned with what Jesus is going to do than we are with what we're going to do. And I will tell you, the joy is coming back. I see it. I see it in relationships. I see it in our growth groups. I see it in the fact that every Sunday, even if I preach till 1220, everybody just hangs out for another 30 minutes. I see it in parties at people's houses. I see it in, I, I see it all over the place. I see the joy returning. And I believe that's what God is up to among us. Well, in this passage of scripture, I want you to see this in Zephaniah chapter three. I'd hate to have you turn all the way to Zephaniah and not actually read from Zephaniah. So Um, it was such a chore for some of you. But now you've had time. You're there now, right? Everybody, there's not that one lone person still flipping. Okay. Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 19 says this. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord, your God, is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Just like highlight that, underline it, put stars next to it like... Copy it on every other page of the Bible where he ever tells you to do anything, because this is what God thinks of you and me. If we are believers in Christ, this is how we have been restored to him. He says, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. The heart of God's relationship to us. I believe there are three things we want to see from this passage, and especially from verse 17. If you just look at verse 17, you'll see these. That God's relationship with us and God's heart for us is wrapped up in this. First of all, his distance from his people. Look at verse 17. Look at what it says. The Lord, your God, a very personal God. The Lord, your God, Yahweh, the never changing, self-existent, God is your God. Where is he? Is he far from us? What does it say? In your midst. He's right in the middle of us. He's not distant from us. He's not angry with us and going and locking himself like a brat in his room. He's not saying, no, you, you didn't treat me the right way and pouting and stomping off. He's in the midst of us. Which, if he's in the midst of us, what does that mean? That means if he, he's not allowed to be around stuff like us because of how bad we are. So he had to do something to make it possible for he to, him to be among his people. And what is he, what is it that he did? You can see it right here in the passage. Look at verse 15. The Lord has taken away. The Lord, the same one who is your God, who is in your midst, has taken away the judgments against you. You are... Innocent before God. That's what he's done. So that he can be among you. He can be in your midst. He can be right in the middle of us. And that's not just when we gather on Sundays. That's every day. He is in you. If you are one who has come to Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, he is in your midst. He is right in the thick of it. When you're by yourself in the car, he is in your midst. When we're together, when you're in a growth group, when you're with your family, when you're at work, he is with you. He is not distant from us. He is present With us. But we also see his power. We see his dominion and deliverance. Look back at what we're told here. It's not just that he's with us, it says a mighty one. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He's the mighty one. He is the one who is almighty God. And his almightiness is used to save you. What is he saving you from? He's showing his power and his dominion by verse 15, clearing away all your enemies. So you never have to fear evil again. By verse 19, dealing with all your oppressors. He has the power to save and he has the power to deal with all your enemies. I guess my question then for us is what are we worried about? What are we worried about? Because not only does God say, I got the power and I got the dominion. He says, I'm in the midst of you. I'm with you. I, I think what we've done is we've mixed up our image of God and we've made God into the guy who's sitting on the throne, sovereign over all things, arms crossed. And say, yeah, you guys just wait until I move. You'll regret all that. And he's like the, you know, just the... Ruler who's distant, watching everything happen, arms crossed, and every once in a while he might like lightning bolt. No, that was fun. <laughs> but he's so distant from his people that he doesn't really engage himself in what. Look, guys, the church, the people of God, do nothing of worth apart from God doing the work. Nothing. If he doesn't move, we're wasting our time. If he's just sitting on his throne, not ruling and reigning and actively engaged and with his people, let's go home and watch basketball. It's a lot more worthwhile time to be spent there than here. We're fooling ourselves. God is not just full of power, but he's very present with his people. So I'm just wondering what we're worried about all the time. We Look at the world. and Oh, it's just so awful. Yeah, it's awful. You're right. And I want you to know something. God is at work to transform that world. You know how He's doing it? He's not just getting us all together as a great army to go and transform the world, He's transforming you and me because we were just as awful. Look at what it says He's mighty to save. Right? He will save. These are people who needed to be restored to God first. And that's what he's doing, isn't he? He's restoring people to God. He's at work. Has it, have you seen him at work? Have you seen him at work this week? Think about mending relationships. Think about how you're able to deal with. That's the miraculous work of God. How you're able to deal with the boss you couldn't deal with last week. Right? How you pray instead of moaning and groaning. That's a miraculous work of God in your life. He's at work. Doing that because he's present and he's powerful. But I want you to see this because this changes lives right here. Okay, And this may be brand new for the vast majority of you. And I want you to see it. Look at, look at the rest of the verse. Verse 17. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Do we think of God as singing? over us? Do we understand how much he actually rejoices over us? Because I think what we've done for far too long in the church is we've made God kind of the killjoy, right? God is standing off to the side going, oh man, one day they'll get it right, I guess. Stupid, stupid people. He's constantly like throwing the cross up in front. Don't you remember what I did for you? And so we become those people too, don't we? When was the last time you heard somebody say, Every time you do something like that, it's it's like nailing another nail into the cross. I'm sorry, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and Jesus died once for all. You can't crucify him again. He already did. He already did it. Does that mean you're you're free to sin? No, it's you're. It means you're free to not sin anymore. It means you're free to obey. It means you're free to enjoy him when he was far from you. Now he's drawn near. He's in your midst. He's powerful. He's powerful enough to keep you from temptation. He's powerful enough to keep you from sin. He's powerful enough to keep you from your enemies. But we look at God and we say, I sure hope I do the right thing. So God will be pleased with me. I want you to know I'm sorry. I'm sorry that for your life, that's what you've been taught about Jesus. That breaks my heart. That you think God needs you to prove your love when He's already done that. He loves us so much and is so Exalting over us that he sings over his children. He sings over us with joy when he restores us. It's not angels having a party. It's God singing over his people. Can you think of God as the one who rejoices over you? What keeps us from thinking that way? Well, I think there are several things that keep us from thinking that way. And I think there's an answer in Zephaniah for that. I think some of us would say, God can't be rejoicing over me. I mean, my sin. I mean, I'm just bitter and angry all the time. You have no idea what I did in the past. You have no idea what I'm doing right now in private. There's no way. And I would say that if you are restored by the blood of Jesus Christ and you are in Christ Jesus, a child of God by grace through faith, verse 15 says he's taken away the judgments against you. There's no condemnation for you He he knows how bad you are and have been, and he rejoices over his people. And you may say, well, yeah, but my shame, I mean, I'm, I'm ashamed. I've been told my whole life I wasn't good enough. I, I could never be the one who could please anyone. I just want to please God, and I'm ashamed that I can't do it. I'm ashamed. And he says in verse 18, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. You're no longer going to suffer shame. Those who are mourning over their shame, you know what he does? He throws you a party. He gathers all of you together and he, he says, I'm going to make a festival. And he brings you to joy. You may say, but, but my enemies, but you have no idea what kind of enemies I have that are out to ruin my life. And he says in verse 19, I'm going to deal with all your oppressors. Verse 15, he's cleared away your enemies. You say, but I'm lonely and I I feel alone and I can't handle this. And he says. I'm going to save the lame and gather the outcast. He's going to gather the outcast in. We're all in this. If we are children of God, if we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. He rejoices over us with gladness. I want you to see what this means, because I think it's it's astounding what it means. Psalm 147 says the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. Psalm 149, let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes great pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Psalm 90, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Jeremiah 32 I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. I will rejoice in doing them good. That's what he promises. Isaiah 65, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be be glad in my people. God is not sitting there going... These people would just get it together. This world would be better. Those Christians would just get it together. He's looking at us and his joy is what's transforming us. When was the last time you got up in the morning and this was your prayer? The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Today I want to be strong in the joy of the Lord. Not my joy. But God's joy. I want the joy of the Lord to be my strength today. Lord, make your joy for me as your child and all that Jesus accomplished for the joy set before him. Make that my strength today so that in everything I'm not sitting there going, man, I sure wish I do the right thing, man, I sure wish I do the right thing. But in everything, I'm seeking to rejoice and enjoy God who is rejoicing over me. Matt Chandler. I, I didn't plan on telling this story, but I will. Matt Chandler tells this story. And I think it's fantastic. Some of you have seen it before and, and I'm not nearly as funny as Matt Chandler. And so if you want to see it, I, I'll post the YouTube video or something about it. But it's great. It's when we have kids. Right. And they learn to walk. It's pretty amazing. They learn to walk. Right. They stand up in their big heads, lean forward. And it's just a, and it's just kind of happens at some point. Once your big head leans forward, the foot has to come out. So it's not really. It's just. What happens physically at some point they stumble forward. But the point is not that kids walk. The point is what happens when kids walk. Parents are all gathered around the kids on the edge of the couch. And he turns around and he starts and he takes two steps and he crumbles to the ground, bangs his head. And the parents don't go, idiot. What's wrong with you? What do you do? He He walked. Right? There's like a party. Everybody's putting it on YouTube. You walked. Share it with your Facebook friends. You walked. And you set him back up and you try to get him to do it again. And he just kind of... Right? That's great! Nobody's sitting there blaming each other for how bad of a walker the kid is. They're just rejoicing over the fact that he's walking. God is not sitting there as you stumble going, idiot. He's saying he walked. And the accuser is telling you, Oh, but he's no good at it. He's saying, "No, I—that's Jesus walking through him. That's—I'm giving him the strength to do that." He rejoices over his children. He doesn't just rejoice; he sings over his children. And I want you to get this picture, okay? I think John Piper put it really well. When God spoke at the beginning, what happened? Everything in all creation came into existence. What do you think is going to happen when he sings? If speaking brings heaven and earth into existence, could it be that as he's singing over his children today, as he's singing over you and me today, he's doing exactly what Jesus promised and preparing a new heaven and a new earth, preparing a place for us to be with him? That as he's rejoicing over us, he's preparing a place for us to be in his joy forever. So what does it sound like for God to sing? I just want you to spend this week imagining that. What would it sound like for God to sing? Because it doesn't just say that he's singing. It says with loud singing. He's rejoicing over us with loud singing. This is what Piper says. He says, when I think of the voice of God singing, I hear the Booming of Niagara Falls mingle with the trickle of a mossy mountain stream. I hear the blast of Mount St. Helens mingle with a kitten's purr. I hear the power of an East Coast hurricane and the barely audible puff of a night snow in the woods. And I hear the unimaginable roar of the sun, 865,000 miles thick, 1,300,000 times bigger than the earth and nothing but fire. A million degrees centigrade on the cooler surface of the corona. But I hear this unimaginable roar mingled with the tender, warm crackling of the living room logs on a cozy winter's night. He sings loudly over us. And then look what it says. And he quiets us with his love. He's the God who sings great joyous songs over us and sings lullabies to us, too. He loves us and enjoys us so much that He can't stop expressing it. And sometimes He just has to sit and watch. Have you been in that position with your kids or with someone you love? You just, not in a creepy way, but in the really beautiful way, just can't stop looking at them and just enjoying them? Our God rejoices over us with gladness. He exalts over us with loud singing. Does that just leave you a little bit staggered to think that with all you've done, with all I've done, with all we've done, he can't stop singing over us. He can't stop rejoicing over us. What does that mean? What that means is you and I had nothing to do with pleasing him. Jesus had to do all of that. So he's pleased with us today He's rejoicing over us today because of what Jesus has done in our place. So to this this week, when you're struggling in temptation and sin, realize that he's with you and he's powerful enough to save you from that. And then call out to him. Say, God, draw me close to you. Sing over me today and restore to me the joy of your salvation. When you're struggling with self-righteousness this week and say, well, I'm better than that person. Lord return to me the joy of your salvation. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I think when we do that, we're going to be understanding more and more of what it is to drink from the fountain of joy, the real fountain of joy. Randy Alcorn put it this way, because our Lord is the headwaters of joy. Too often, we look first to the lower streams to find joy. And what happens with those lower streams is they're all polluted. But if we want real joy, we've got to go to the source of pure joy. And God does not relegate us to the lower streams. He says, come and drink. Come and drink of the joy of my salvation. Sometimes in moments of pride, we need to fear him and repent. Other times in moments of brokenness and despair, we need to just bathe in his grace and see his smile and hear him say, well done. We need to cast our cares upon Him because He cares for us. Come unto Him when we're weary and heavy laden and He will give us rest. I don't want this to be one of those rah, rah, Jesus, you know, Joel Osteen type moments for us. But I want us to make sure we understand something. I heard this this week. Some of you have already seen this. It's a new album that's, that they came out this week by Wren Collective, an Irish band. And in their promo video, this was said, and I'm telling you, when I heard it, like I, I can't stop thinking about this statement. I just can't stop thinking about this statement over and over and over and over again. It comes to my mind. I want you to hear this. And he said that in their community of faith, they had to come to a realization that seriousness is not a fruit of the spirit. Joy is. Let me make sure you understand what I'm saying. Remember when Jesus rose from the dead? Remember that? Remember the story? Remember the women couldn't contain themselves? And they went and told the disciples, and a couple of the disciples get up and like kick off their sandals and just sprint. You know, because they were afraid they were going to blow out a sand on the way or something. And they're just they're just running as fast as they can to see Jesus is alive. And they get there and they're like, we got to tell everybody. And within like a day, they're having a committee meeting over what to do about Jesus being alive. Right. It goes from like joy to what are we going to do about this? You know, Thomas hasn't experienced this yet. We we're going to have to figure out what to do. You know, and they're like gathered in a room kind of hiding, going, I don't know what to do with this news. Joy turned to committee. And we're really good at that, aren't we? And God has designed us as his people to be the most joyous people on the planet because we're the only ones with the gospel. And what does gospel mean? Good news, not news. Good news. I don't know if you've watched the news recently. There's not a whole lot of good news on there. And yet they seem to be having a lot more fun with their bad news than we do with our good news. God has not designed his people to be the most serious people on the planet. He's designed us to be the most joyous people on the planet. And and, and I'll say this and I'll, I'll get in trouble for this one and that's okay. Our response to his joy is meant to be joy. In the way we worship him, in the way we talk about him, in the way we think about him, in the way we live our lives, everything's supposed to be joy. And it could be that you're sitting there and you're saying, well, when we sing songs of praise to him, I'm I'm enjoying them. Yeah, but if we can't see the joy is I don't know. Like if other people can't see the joy, how are we going to know there's joy there? This is all there is to it. You know, there's there's the guy who does this. Why are you singing? But you put a mic in his hand, he'll talk all he wants to about Jesus, but he's not going to sing. If God is singing over you, shouldn't we be singers? I don't care how bad your voice is, just sing. And if you sit there and say, well, praising the Lord and raising my hands and singing loud is not in my personality. I don't really care because it's in his personality. And the more we get to know him and his spirit resides in us, who are we supposed to look like? Us or him? The more we understand how much he rejoices over us. The more we will be uncontainable in our joy. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. That's what I'm learning right now, is what it is. And I'll apologize for taking too seriously things that are supposed to be good news. Things that are supposed to be joyous, we just take too seriously sometimes. Let's change that. Let's change that. I think God's at work doing that, I think He's breaking down walls. I'm going to ask you to pray with me today that God would break down those walls in your life. That he would replace seriousness with joy. That he would replace your personality with the joy of his salvation. That he would replace your desires with his greatness and his glory. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would be people transformed, not willing to settle for how we are now, but wanting to rejoice and drink deeply from the headwaters of joy. Make us into your image so that we will be singers in joy, we pray in Christ's name.